Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the BSSH Sport and History podcast. I am Connor Heffernan, and I'm very happy to be joined today by Aaron O'Mwaini, who is an independent scholar, a post-primary school teacher in South Dublin, and has just published a wonderful article in Soccer and Society entitled In the Wraith Camp, Rugby or Soccer Would Not Have Been Tolerated by the Prisoners, Irish Civil War Attitudes to Sport, 1922 to 1923, I've already joked about my lax uh, membership to the Irish speaking community. So if I have mispronounced your surname or the name of the camp, please do correct me. Uh, if not, maybe Aaron could just open out with your interest in civil war sport in Ireland and then maybe a brief overview of what the article is about. Uh, thanks for having me on, Connor. Um, the article uh, the article itself is, is about uh, the, the, the conflict, I suppose, of allegiances between um, you know, those who fought uh, for Irish independence during, during the period mentioned. And I, I rather, I came across it during my undergraduate studies in, in, in 2015. And Conor Curran, who, who you know well, uh, who was the editor of, of that journal, was a supervisor of mine at the time uh, in, in Colossus of Audric, um, over in Conor. And uh, Conor just kind of, Pose the question um, regarding sort of the involvement of, of Irish nationalists in soccer because he'd come across some material on Oscar Trainer, um, who was the OC of the Dublin Brigade IRA for the latter half of the War of Independence and the subsequent Civil War. And he, he really just, he threw it out to me to, uh, to, to look into this. And from there, it just kind of mushroomed, you know, uh, into into my, my, my first article on this, which was, which was who were the Shonians, uh, taken from a quote uh, from Oscar Trainer in an article that he wrote in the late 1920s, um, which in itself was sort of a rebuttal of this idea that Irish nationalists couldn't possibly uh, have, have played what, what, what's known as a, a foreign sport, you know, a British sport or the garrison game, as, as it was often called within Irish nationalist circles. And, uh, and after that article uh, was published, I, I came across some, some material, or rather gathered some material while I was writing that article, which, which ended up feeding into, into the, the present one um, yeah, on, on the raw camp and, and civil war attitudes. Just some material that just didn't, um, that didn't quite fit into the first one or, or rather piqued my interest and I didn't, I didn't know enough about, I think, to, to really tease out and, uh, that I that again I just I, st- I delved into and, and it mushroomed again and, and I just it became this it became it was a talk originally uh, which was given in in, in Prony um, in the public records uh, office up north and uh, it was a lot shorter then and, and um, I worked on it then in, in between and when the call for papers came out uh, you know I, I I happily submitted it. Um, because I, I feel like it answered, it perhaps answered some of the questions I think that I, that, that I posed and made perhaps some questions that, that, that people may have, may have considered themselves just regarding that conflict between, um, you know, Irish cultural nationalism and, and national identity. Uh, and it was an interesting sort of prism to, to explore that through the Civil War because although it was a conflict that immediately came after the, the, the War of Independence, where, which, was, which was very much imbued with a strong Irish nationalist uh, sense of cultural identity that was intertwined with, 
with their political identities and their nationalist identity and everything else, um, that the Civil War kind of had some similarities, but then again, it had some differences as well. And, and that's what I tried to, I think, get across in the article that, um, you know, there, there were these soccer players among the nationalists and there were rugby players and there were, there were, there were athletes and um, various other disciplines. And a lot of that got lost over the years, I think, in the historiography of, of the revolution. Um, in, in, in great part, I suppose, with the focus on the GAA. Um, among Irish historians, and uh, it, it just it just it interested me, and it was something that I kind of wanted to bring to the fore that these these people existed, um, and these stories hadn't hadn't been revealed um, in many instances. So uh, it was it was it was a, it was a very interesting article to to research and, and bring to fruition, you know. And I'm and I'm very grateful for Connor posing that question back in back in 20, 2015, I think it was, you know, but. Was there any more like trainer? I think you know or something to that effect. Um, you know, and it ended up spawning spawning two two peer reviewed articles, uh, which which is fantastic. And it's really nice now that Connor is able to corrupt uh, pretty much anyone, uh, whatever way uh, he leaves. So said in jest, Connor. Um, something that I think is one of the key strengths of this is, as I said, breaking it away from that focus on the Gaelic Athletic Association, which traditionally has been the main focus around anything sort of war of independence to a lesser extent civil war related and the GA itself does very well on sort of strengthening that you know this was the Irish game this is the game of the true Gales, not like the Shonians or the West Brits or you know whatever terms people want to use for the quote-unquote like foreign games like soccer or rugby and it seems that in Irish sport history People tend to poke holes in this narrative a lot, but we don't have a definitive like split from this idea of the GA is Irish sport. So when you were researching around this, I'm wondering, was there any historical works that had sort of delved into this at all? Because I couldn't think of any um, off the top of my head, because it does seem around the Civil War in particular, there's very little focus on this. I'm just wondering in terms of secondary literature, was there a lot there? Um, in, in terms of secondary literature, Con- Connor done some great work uh, on, on the conflict between uh, those who played association football and those who played Gaelic football in his native Tony Gall and in other areas in Ulster, um, you know, which, with, some, with some very, very interesting um, findings there. Uh, there, was, there was actually quite a, a bit of crossover between guys um, and, and, and various codes over, over the years. Um, until I suppose the ban or the, the, the more stringent adherence um, or application of the ban sort of put, put a stop to that. But yeah, Con- Connor did some great, some great material there. Um, Brian, the, the, the ever excellent Brian Hanley um, had a very interesting article in, a, in an edited collection that was, that was published by the Ulster Foundation. The, the name of, of the exact publication slips my mind, unfortunately, but um, I think the, the general gist of the article was was Irish Republican attitudes to soccer. Now, now Brian's um, time span was a lot wider than mine, but you know Brian, Brian, I think went went right up to the the Jack Charlton years in the early nineties, um, and and it was interesting to see that how her mainstream sort of um, and and, and, I, and I hate using this phrase, but militant Republican or militant nationalist. Mm. Um, individuals or groupings sort of warmed to this, you know, when he and he tied it in, I suppose, with the 
with the rising tide, I suppose, in, in, in Irish soccer fortunes that we, you know, at the time, you know. Um, but but in, in terms of Ireland, they, you know, outside those, they, they, there wasn't a lot of, of secondary source material to, to work with that, that focused on, on, on nationalism and volunteers on, on a very, on a very, very um, intimate level. You know, there, there was some broad, there'd been some articles, I suppose, which broadly look at that whole um, era, you know, like the, the, the Victorian era, I suppose, in sport and um, that whole movement there. And there'd been some, there'd been some histories, I suppose, of the early foundations of, of soccer in Ireland. Um, but, but nobody had really, really interrogated it, you know, during the War of Independence and, and looked at, you know, have any of these figures perhaps played this game? Um, you know, and, you know, it hasn't, it hasn't come to the, you know, to, to public mind, I suppose, you know, or into the public way of putting it um, so it, it involved a lot of kind of deep diving into into primary sources and and some of the most kind of unlikely places because I think anybody who who who's worth their salt I suppose in this game and is and is dug deep into the sources will will tell you that often what we write is dictated by the the availability of the sources that we have um, you know and, and also the content of the sources and for the revolutionary period uh, two of the biggest, I suppose, repositories, and and, and they're a fantastic resource. Uh, are, are the Bureau of Military His History witness statements, um, which were statements um, for, for for any listeners who might not be aware of them. They were, they were statements that were taken um, in in the mid twentieth century. Uh, it was a, of IRA members and and other Irish nationalist activists coming among and Sinn uh, Féin and various other nationalist organisations. They were interviewed as part of a government project to to essentially to write a history of the conflict, an official state history. And um, so interviewers were sent around the country, and they would interview these individuals, and uh, they were put under lock and key in, in the National Archives until, until quite recently, um, within the last um, you know decade or so, you know, or, or slightly more. Um, and the military service pensions then, which was the other sort of major source for this period, was compiled um, in order to, to, to grant pensions uh, to those who had served the state um, in some way, shape or form. Uh, and in these statements, the, the applicants have to have to clearly um, set out, you know, what they did, you know, during the, the years 1916 to 1923 um, in order to qualify for a, pay, a, a, a pension. But where, 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 where I'm going, and this is the heel of the hunt, um, is that those, those, those two repositories are kind of biased towards the nationalist side um, and those who are applying for a pension you know, want to make out, um, you know, and I don't think there was any dishonesty in it, but they, you know, they're going to make out the, the, the nationalist side of things that they don't, you know, they're not, they're not going to include anything that's going to maybe tarnish that, that image as over, over Gwail or Gale or what have you. Um, and likewise with the Bureau of Military History Statements, um, you know, they're, they're all about their activity in Irish nationalist movements. Um, but fortunately, fortunately, you do you do find some mention um, in the Bureau of Military History Statements. Uh, Oscar Trainer mentions the fact that he was a soccer player um, and mentions some of the teams that he played. Robert Holland, um, who grew up um, a few doors down from, from, from my family home, um, 
he spoke about the the, the numerous types of, of men who who were uh, interned after the 1916 Rising. And, you know, he's talking about there were actors there, there were soccer players, there were guys who played rugby, you know, there were Gaelic players, there were quail guards and such. And that, that, that was really the... Um, that was really the kind of first part of call after after kind of doing a survey of the secondary um, sources uh, was there to see if I could just find someone who was named and and that um, and after that then it was really you know anywhere I could get it like um, football sports weekly which was a which was a small um, short lived periodical uh, dealing with, with with Irish soccer um, was another fantastic resource because. That was run by 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 um by people involved in our soccer and uh, the likes of Oscar Trainer, uh, who who not only was the officer commanding the Dublin Brigade during the periods I mentioned, but he went on to be um, a minister um minister for defence um if I'm not mistaken. So uh, you know it had contributions from from Irish nationalists in that paper uh, in the form of letters to the editor and, and editorials, uh, which it. it you you can you get this sense that there was a challenge to the national credentials of of, of those men who uh, had played soccer in Ireland and uh, had taken part in the war of independence with the civil war in the nineteen sixteen rising and thankfully um, their ire was such that they insisted on naming uh, some of these individuals in order to shame their detractors um, and among them of course is named Kevin Barry uh, you know. Um, who who was who was hung for his his part in an ambush, um, in in the North River City just off Church Street there, Kevin Kevin played rugby with with Belvedere where he was schooled, um, and 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 trainer sort of the, in, in, invokes that you know that I mean how could somebody here who's such a martyr for Ireland, um, you know, not how, how could you question their nationalist credentials simply because they played a sport that that was not deemed um, you know, Gaelic enough, uh. And that's that's where I got a lot of the names um, of those who 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 played, and that's where I kind of then kind of set me off on another journey down to find sources and obituaries in the newspapers were 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 a real gift in that in that sense, you know, because they they quite often said you know such and such was a member of whatever you know society or what have you, and. Um, and then the odd, the odd article that was written, you know, often in rebuttal, I suppose, of, of kind of charges that these people were shown in or, or West Brits, that some, someone would write in and say, you know, oh, I knew such and such from whatever company, the IRA, and he was a great soccer player at school. And there were loads of us that played soccer and nobody ever, you know, nobody ever even questioned the idea. And I think a trainer makes a very, very salient point there regarding that. He's, he's quite emphatic and he says, you know, a man's sporting choice, you know, doesn't doesn't matter what I owe you know, when it comes to his political convictions. Um, it was simply his choice of leisure. You know, he, he definitely didn't see any conflict, and I doubt many of them did. Um, you know, from 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 what testimony we do have, um, you know, they certainly didn't see it. Um, you know, it was a clash of loyalties, as it were. Uh, play, playing a sport that was regarded as a foreign game, and then fighting for Ireland then on the other side of it. Yeah, and I mean, for people who, I suppose, are unfamiliar with the strength of that nationalist connection to the GA, the example I always like to use with students in class is um, Douglas Hyde, who's president of Ireland, who attended a soccer match in 1938 and, and so infuriated the GA that they banned him forevermore. 
um, from GA matches. And Douglas Hyde was sort of one of the leading figures in the Irish Gaelic revival and the first president of the Gaelic League. So one of these, you know, uber nationalist, uh, you know, Gaelic figures being banned by the GA for attending a soccer match. So I mean, the strength of that sort of nationalist zeal with relation to the GA, like it doesn't end in 1922, 1923. It continues for decades more. And I think something in the article that I found so interesting is when you talk about the free states efforts to establish army athletic associations and the centrality of the GA within the sort of establishment or within the free state itself. And I just thought from my own sort of selfish point of view, something that was quite interesting in that is work I published on so-called gymnastics in the 1930s. People are saying, why are we bringing in a foreign system? The GA is all the training that the army needs. Uh, again, just small little tangents, but this isn't about me uh, as much as I want it to be. So the article itself gives a very good um, overview and insight into life in the internment camps themselves and the, the role that sport played within it. So I'm wondering, and I'm thinking in particular of the wonderful anecdote you have about the Free State newspapers publishing these wonderful reports about life in, the, in these internment camps. Could you maybe give listeners an insight into the reality of life within these camps and the role sport played and then maybe the wonderful Disney fictionalized account that the um, Free State government gave to outsiders? Yeah, yeah, that, God, yeah, that you, you, you're reminding me there that, 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 that uh, I, I definitely, I definitely broke the silence rule in the National Archives when I came across that file and, and had quite a, quite a laugh to myself there. Um, that I, I, I came across foil and, uh, and, and, and true as form, um, I actually wasn't looking for it. Uh, I, was, I was looking for something else or I was researching something else at the time and I came across a, a foil that contained uh, a lot of free state propaganda um, purporting to be, to be letters from, from Republican and anti-treaty prisoners to their families. And, uh, and, and in these snippets, that, that, that they had um, you, you would swear that the guys were, were, were being set up uh, in, in Abbottstown you know with, it, with, with it all the splendour that Abbottstown has um, m- multiple 4G pitches and uh, a national aquatic centre and, and what have you um, and it, it's just the, <laughs> the reality was, was far from um, you know these, these supposed letters out uh, from, from Republican prisoners and um, they, they, they didn't have the materials, they didn't have the space, um, and they certainly didn't have the freedom to, to engage in the way that these letters claim that they did. Um, and, and, and that's quite clear, you know, not just from the, the logistics of the whole thing, but from the actual testimony of, of the Republicans that were in there. Um, so the Republicans that were in the raw camp, you know, were talking about playing um, soccer and Gaelic football with essentially um, a ball of rags. You know, that they tied up rags um, and made some sort of sphere. And uh, and that was what they played with. And they, they spoke about, you know, the, the dirt pitches that they played on, you know, it was literally gravel. Um, you know, I can't even, I don't, I, I can't even imagine what they used, but presumably pieces of, of timber from their, from their, uh, their huts or the, the, the camps that they were interned in for goalposts, unless... Unless they resorted to the uh, the time old tradition of jumpers for goalposts, I don't know. And um, perhaps depend weather dependent, and um, maybe. But um, yeah, it's it, it, that that's quite a, that's quite the um, 
did the anecdote um, and uh, it, it, did, it doesn't bear any resemblance to the reality. Like it was quite a harsh existence and, and sport, as, as Will Murphy has, has, has said in his, in his excellent book on, on imprisonment um, during the Irish Revolution, you know, it had this way of galvanizing, um, you know, the spirit of the men, their identity. And that was very much uh, based around Irish cultural and national identity and Gaelic games in the War of Independence period, you know, because they, they were being imprisoned by the British, you know, to them, they're foreign, um, you know, it's a foreign administration. We're being, um, you know, we're being tried here as political prisoners. And, you know, it's us and them and, and, and we are othered and they are othered. And we're going to exalt this, you know, this, this, um, you know, ultra great, ultra gale, if, if, if it could be called that, you know, we speak Irish and we play Irish games. And then when it comes to the civil war, the British are no longer the jailers. The, the jailers are Irish, um, you know, and they, they're just politically, um, I suppose, divergent, you know, and they're politically opposed. And, and that's where, you know, that comment, you know, the quote uh, used in the title of the article comes from is Todd Andrews reflecting on the games that were played during the Civil War period and um, looking back to the, to the Tanmore War of Independence period and saying, you wouldn't have gotten away with that during the, the, the previous conflict because you played Gaelic games during the Town War, you know. Um, you know, we didn't want the Brits getting any idea that, you know, we have any cultural similarity, you know. We, we, we're, we're another species, for want of a better term. But when it comes to the Civil War period, they're less concerned about that, um, in, to some degree, you know, not, not entirely, um, you know, but to some degree. And I think... We've also kind of got to look at the regional spread of sport in Ireland, the regional identity. And in these internment camps, people will be brought from, from, from all over Ireland. Um, you know, so you'd have groups of guys from, from Cork who, who, who probably played rugby growing up, you know, and some of them certainly did, you know, according to, to some of the sources. And they're putting an internment camp. And what, what, what do you do when you are socialising with a group from, from home? You, 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 you kind of resort to those things, you know. So they, they one of the guys actually ended up a Dublin volunteer and um, by the name of uh, John Callanan actually established a rugby team in, in the Raw camp uh, during, um, or the Cora camp during the Civil War. Uh, and that, that was certain, certainly couldn't have been done during the, uh, during the Tam War. Um, and also the proliferation, I suppose, of soccer. It's, it's only natural, if you, even if you look at... I know the Dublin of now is, is, is quite different to the Dublin of, of, of your, but space is, space is at a premium and always kind of has been in Dublin for the, for the last, you know, two or three centuries. And, and it's a lot easier to play a game of soccer. Um, if you grow up in a small confined space, you need less people, you need less space um, and you need less. Um, I'm trying to think, sorry, you need, you, you need less materials, I suppose, in terms of goalposts. You need specific goalposts for Gaelic football and, uh, you know, wider space and everything else. Um, the conditions just don't lend themselves to that in the prison camp, you know. Um, and, and I'd kind of liken it to, you know, every, every pun intended, you know, to, to when I was in school in, in, in the Christian Bullers um, in Sing Street when I was when I was a child, that we had a very small yard and, and we were forced to play soccer with, with a tennis ball. Um, you know, uh, and and we made we made that space, and we made use of that space, and we and we, and, and we kind of we just got on with things, you know. Whereas whereas a game of Gaelic football, you know, most certainly would not have been 
you know, wouldn't have been able to be played in those grounds because you, you know, you would have most likely smashed the window or you would have lost the ball into one of the neighbouring back gardens. And it wasn't possible. And, and I think the same is true to, to a certain extent in the prison camps, that they just didn't have the means, um, you know, of playing those games. And, and if you think of the game of Horling, um, if, you're, if you're in charge of a prison camp of several thousand men, the last thing you want to be doing is giving them um, important equipment that they could potentially use as a weapon. Um, you know, and I, and I know I understand that some people might, might, might see that as a provocative statement, given, given the treatment of Horland in the north of Ireland, and, you know, certainly by the, by the police there. But um, it, it, it is a relatively fair point in that sense that, like, you can't, you can't give these men things that they will potentially use as a weapon, um, you know, because you're just creating a problem down the line. Um, mm. You know, should it happen, um, you know, and did, did, there wasn't a lot. Um, I suppose, thankfully, a lot of um, violence um, on guards in that respect from 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 prisoners, uh, Republican prisoners. There, there were some attempts. There were some prison guards that were shot, and um, there was one shot in Mount Joy, and um, fairly early on in the Civil War. But by and large, the the, the violence was 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 one sided, um, sadly for for the Republican side. Um, but but yeah, Horland Horland. There's very few mentions, and there's there's one from the the Tan War. Um, uh, I think it's on on, on Inner Spick and um, uh, Spike Islands down in down in Cork, um, where where a Clare man is actually shot dead by a sentry for retrieving um, a slitter after uh, or during a game of Horland, um, and that's the only mention that I found to to Horland in internment camps um, in the course of my research over the last five six years, um, and and I presume for 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 the obvious reasons stated, hmm. and and. So I'm just blown away by someone going to get the uh, slitter and being shot. But I, I think it's the, the nuance in your article and the research is so well done because you talk about the fact that there are these material conditions which really do lend themselves to soccer more than Gaelic games. And as I said, you know, the logic of giving hundreds of men um, or at least dozens of men hurls, which like wooden bats, you know, and then saying, oh, away, away you go, you scamps. You could understand why maybe that wouldn't work in a prison camp, uh, unless you're all very trusting of one another. But like even the, you talk about the expansiveness needed for Gaelic games, or even just the sheer fact of goalposts in a GA setting are very hard. I don't understand how you could really set that up uh, with go- jumpers for goalposts and then some sort of like vague rule about uh, the crossbar. But so you talk about the material conditions which lend itself to playing soccer or playing rugby. You then talk about the geographical um, I suppose the geographical preferences of people who are coming into these camps and you talk about urban, rural and Dublin and all these different areas and then I suppose just the fact that it isn't as ideolo- ideologically charged so I think there's such a, a joy in reading it because you're coming at it from a sort of lived lived experience or a, a, a empathetic um, approach to the variety of different things that, that brought soccer and rugby to prominence in these camps this isn't the question i realize it's just sort of gushing over the research that you've done <laughs> you're, you're, you're very kind your, your readers can't or your, your listeners can't, can't see this but i am blushing i am blushing <laughs> um but it, it, it is and it, i think with, with that you know um did, there were also other reasons why like i mean sport was used as a means of escaping the prison in several instances that they would stage games you know like uh, like several women staged a game um uh 
Osaka in a prison in Dublin. Um, Linda Cairns was among them. And uh, they, they did it as a ruse to, to draw the, the guards' attention um, and, and escape. And they, don't, they, they did it in, in Ballykinler um, in County Down. Um, you know, they did it in the Curra. Um, there was often arguments, I think, about sport in that, like, you know, lads, we're trying to dig a tunnel underneath this and you guys trampling along the pitch, you know, or the, you know, the quote-unquote pitch um, isn't doing us any favour because, you know, um, Porrick down here is down the hole, you know, that's probably only about 18 inches wide and um, there's dust coming in on top of him and it's probably going to collapse on him, you know. Um, so, they, you know, they, they, those concerns as well, but... Uh, yeah, even, even even the magazine fort um, raid um, or attack in, in 1916 was sparked with a, with a football game um, that they pretended to be playing football outside the, the, the fort and they kicked the ball over the gate and they asked the um, the gatekeeper to, to retrieve the ball and with that then they gained their entry. Um, so there were those concerns and, and as you outlined that, you know, regional preference for sport and regional popularity of sport among, among internees um urban rural backgrounds and I suppose different classes as well, you know, because that was the thing about the Irish Revolution that, you know, you you, you had a small number of upper class um, individuals involved at various levels and you had quite a lot of um, petty bourgeois, sort of lower middle class, what have you, and a lot of working class. So those those three kind of sections of society, you're all going to have different experiences, I suppose, of socialisation and leisure and uh, you throw them all into a prison camp for, for several months and um, you, you you get this melting pot of, of, of various different leisure activities. You know, like, and they, they weren't only sort of, um, you know, physical team sports. Like, they organised chess and they organised a lot of drama. Um, they organised language classes. They even organised, um, you know, algebra and, and various disciplines of, of math classes as well. Um, so it was quite diverse in, in, in that respect. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember um, the name, but someone did some an article on sewing within the camps because it, it was just anything well, to. Um, I, I I will figure out the name at some point before the podcast ends. But it's an interesting, you know, the sort of prisoner sewing buttons and sewing sewing materials. Um, it's just to show that the need for leisure, I suppose, within these camps and in, in this kind of nicer setting of. As I say, we're no longer fighting against the British, so there's there's more of an openness to playing soccer or playing rugby, etc. And one name that really struck out to me when you think about the longer term impact of um, excuse me, the longer term impact of playing soccer or playing rugby in these camps are I'm just trying to get their names. Jimmy Dunn is one, and then Joseph Steins is the other, who had TA backgrounds, but then really did transition. Uh, to football as a result of their time in the internment camp. So maybe I don't want to spoil it. Can you talk about Steins and Dunn and sort of where they ended up? Yeah, like I mean, most most um, listeners with with the finger on the pulse regarding soccer um, of late will be familiar with Jim, Jim, Jimmy Dunn, whose record was was only broken by by Jamie Vardy. Um, decades later, decades later, and, and Jimmy Dunn came from quite a humble origin down in down in Rings End. Where his father was was on the the board um, of the local GA club, you know, and uh, and Jimmy would have grown up um, within the family playing Gaelic games, and uh, is interned um, during the civil war. Uh, he's arrested actually on the night of the bridges, which was an operation during the civil war, where the the IRA in Dublin 
attempted to isolate um, the, the county from its hinterland by, by blowing up bridges. Uh, and it was a disastrous um, mishap for them uh, because the information regarding the operation was leaked and they were all lifted um, pretty much uh, with very little damage to it. And Jimmy was among those. And I think that the, the remarkable thing for me, given the career, because Jimmy went on to have quite a, a lengthy and notable career um, with Sheffield United um, in, in England, and uh, among other teams, but in the O'Malley interviews, when um, I think it's Christy Smith um, who 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 recounts, you know, his, t- his tale of Jimmy being in there, and it's quite a, a, a typically Irish thing that he doesn't mention the big English clubs that he's played for because now these interviews for O'Malley were taken in the fifties, um, you know, so so they, they would have had full knowledge of, of Jimmy's career. Uh, you know, they mentioned the local teams. Oh, you know, like he played. For Played for Rovers, you know, like, or he, you know, he had a stint at Troytonville or whatever, you know, it's almost like that thing with, with Richie Sadlier where they said, you know, he scored X amount of goals in, a, in an under 16s game, you know, in the Milk Cup or something like that, like he's mentioning about, about Jimmy, um, you know, and, and I don't think it's out of disrespect. I think it's more, you know, that's that was the Jimmy to them that they, they, they knew him from this Irish um, thing, you know, and it's almost an afterthought. Oh, yeah, I think he played for Arsenal, you know, he's. He, he throws in, um, and, and Jim Steins as well, um, you know, grew up playing, playing, um, getting football in Kildare, um, and went on then to have a, have a, a, a decent career in, in, in the League of Ireland. And if I'm not mistaken, um, his, one of his sons went on to have a, a career in the AFL over in, in Australia. Um, you know, so it just kind of shows, uh, you know, where, where these paths can, 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 can lead off, you know, um, because I think there's certainly a presumption about certain sections of society and perhaps certain generations that, um, you know, there's a choice between Gaelic games and soccer and that's, you know, you make your, you make your peace with that and you, and you choose one or the other. And it fairly rarely is Gaelic players giving up Gaelic for soccer. You know, it's often the other way around that guys give up soccer to, to commit to Gaelic games. And, you know, in, in my experience anyway, um, and uh, it's interesting to see these guys who, who, who their origin stories are very much rooted in that, uh, Gaelic cultural activity to end up playing um, association football and quite a high standard with, with respect to both men, um, you know. And, and by all accounts, Oscar Trainer himself was a was a fantastic player. He was a goalkeeper for Belfast Celtic, um, Frankfurt, I think Troytonville, um, among other teams that he played for, and was quite high, highly regarded. And and I think after a European tour with them in the early nineteen tens, um, he joins the volunteer movement and. He's working as a printer at the time, and I think all his time is essentially taken up with that. Now, he obviously returns to association football in the administrative capacity later on in life. But um, it's interesting to look at those different pathways because it's not, it's unusual in that sense that somebody goes from, from, you know, there to there, or you Gaelic games to soccer, you know, rather than the other way around. Um, I found it interesting anyway, certainly. Uh, As is perhaps clear, so did I. Um, so I am aware that there is a certain reality show uh, coming on the TV whose name will not be um, said. And again, Aaron, there is no shame. I have just finished Married at First Sight UK and I'm about to get bet into Married at First Sight <laughs> Australia. But I will leave your viewing uh, choices a secret and be discreet about it. Um, before we finish up, is there anything that I should have asked you about the article or anything that um, maybe we didn't cover that you think is worth uh, discussing? 
I think no, I think we're we're we're, we're fairly well covered there. And, and again, I'd, I'd like to thank you for inviting me on. It's been fantastic to, to chat. I think the one thing that and, and this is on me that, that I, I I perhaps you know neglected to to answer was around the Army Athletics Association in the Massage Free State Army and the attempts there. Um, to 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 basically consolidate along Gaelic lines, um, and it's as you mentioned, you've come across in your own research this idea um, that the the Gaelic Athletic Association is the only training that they need, um, and it's quite interesting when you look at the list of sports that were offered within the the, the Free State um, and National Army in the early years, and uh, that almost everything is there except for cricket and soccer, um, you know, boxing, swimming, various different forms of athletics, and um, Gaelic games and uh, and there's just this big um, you know uh, blank space where this game that many and I, and I make that I make that point in the article that you know in the Free State Army there were several very talented soccer players rugby players um, and and athletes um, who whose needs weren't being met um, by by their by their employer by the national um, military because of uh, of a preference for Gaelic games and. Um, you know, an othering of, of of soccer as a sport that's 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 a Shonian sport, a Westbridge sport, um, and it's foreign. Uh, and 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 as I think, I hope I got across in the article, there was quite vociferous opposition to um, you know this exclusion from delegates from from Cork of all places. Um, but maybe that's just Cork people being contrary. I don't know. Um, but there's 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 elements there that are trying to fight back against this exclusion and saying, you know, we've got guys here who play rugby, who play soccer, who play golf or whatever, you know, and, and there's absolutely no need, you know, you know, no need to exclude these games. You know, they're not going to affect their, their, you know, they're not going to make them soft on the national question, I suppose, is the way uh, of putting it. Um, and yet it, it would be, it would be kind of decades until this was, this, this came to pass, you know, and the, and, and the National Army began to, I, I, I think, and, I, and, I, and this is anecdotal now, I, I'm just searching my memory there. I think someone told me that in the early years, you know, there was almost a secret soccer team within the National Army, you know, with guys uh, who, who played the game or or there was a blind eye turned to a kind of unofficial army team, um, you know, and, and that that's that's thankfully no longer the case. You know, my own father um, was a former member of the Defence Forces and uh, and played soccer for them, you know, during his um, his service with with, with that organisation, um, you know, and that would have been in the seventies, seventies um, and eighties, and that's 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 gone, you know, or it was gone by then. But but there definitely is a hint of that that kind of um, intolerance, I suppose, and lack of lack of pluralism um, in in the national army with regard to sport. Uh, that that hopefully I think I, I I've covered you know and um, if if it is ever the case um, you know that, that that someone has questions um, about anything in the articles um, you know feel feel free to get in touch with me my, my, my email address is on is on both articles and and if you haven't it's 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 Aaron dot two at, at mail um, and even if you attempt to Google my name. But, I think I'm one of very few Aaron O'Malley's in the country, so uh, you, you'll find me somewhere or another. Uh, but again, thanks a million, Connor. No, listen, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on, and I'll I'll have I'll do one better, and I'll have your email in the um, the show notes if you, if you'd like, and I can have the I'll have the links to the articles in the anyway. And just as a final point on sort of Irish intolerance and lack of pluralism, 
I love the example of the 1924 Tartan Games. You know, this is the Irish Race Olympics where they decide we're going to have GA, we're going to have Shinty, we're going to have athletics, we're going to have all these wonderful things, but no foreign games. So there's no cricket, soccer or rugby. But we will allow motor car racing because obviously the motor car was designed and created in <laughs> Ireland first. Um, so there, there is always a, a lovely lack of nuance uh, in Irish nationalist debate. <laughs> but I will leave you with the last words. Thank you so much, Aaron. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I really do appreciate it. And for listeners, final time, the name of that article is In the Raw Camp, Rugby or Soccer Would Not Have Been Tolerated by the Prisoners. Irish Civil War Attitudes to Sport, 1922 to 1923, which has just been published in Soccer and Society. So, Aaron, thank you very much and congratulations on a wonderful article. Thanks a million, Connor.